The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So uh, for those of you who haven't been able to join us in worship for the last month, we are in the middle of a sermon series entitled Joy in the Journey, and we're now addressing some of the enemies of joy. And last week I spoke on anxiety and how this is one weapon that is often used by the enemy to rob us of our joy. And today I want to speak on of another common enemy of joy, and that's depression. Um, it's something that I think really needs to be talked about more in the church. And I want to open by reading a few quotes from some famous people. And I want you to think about what is being said and, and who you think said them. Okay? I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate my day of birth. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? I live in terror now, and now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. The third one. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. I have had enough. Take my life. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Those are pretty strong words, right? So the first one was actually said by the great prophet Jeremiah, also known as the weeping prophet. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us. The second quote was given by Job. This was a man so righteous that Satan himself asked God if he could test him. The third was by David, arguably the greatest king of the nation of Israel. And the fourth by Elijah, probably the greatest prophet of the nation of Israel. And the last one was by Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God. And I think some of, you know, some of us may have struggled to guess who said these, who said these things. Because I actually quoted them off a more um, contemporary free translation called the New Living Translation. But I'm guessing that most of us struggled with assigning these quotes to these characters. Because when we think of these great men in the Bible, we don't often associate with them this kind of utter despair. And it's hard for us to imagine godly men or women of faith ever struggling with grief and sadness and depression with this kind of intensity, especially not at a level where you, you, know, you lose your will to live. And yet here it is, right in the Bible. But the fact that we might be surprised at who said these things, I think reveals that we don't confront these types of raw emotions in Scripture enough. And that we don't talk frequently or transparently about depression in the church. But it's all over the Bible. And I, I understand why. You know, this, this is a difficult topic for many reasons. I think, for one, it's difficult because depression is often treated um, as a taboo 
topic in the church. Right? As Christians, we have this false notion that we're supposed to be happy all the time. Right? Just like Ned Flanders, you know, and the Simpsons. And when bad things happen or when we feel bad, we're just supposed to have faith or muster up more faith to make all the unhappiness go away. And we think Christians should never be depressed. And we fear that feeling this way betrays a lack of faith or immaturity. And I think this is even more pronounced in a predominantly Asian American church context where so much of our ethnic culture is shame-based and centered around trying to save face and where showing emotions, even happy ones, are thought to be a sign of weakness. And you add on to that the fact that depression is, is an extremely difficult thing to understand. I mean, we now know that hormones, brain chemistry, genetics, stress, trauma can all play a role. They can all be risk factors, right? And the more you talk to people about it, the more you realize that there is no one silver bullet that's the answer for everyone. If one foolproof solution existed, this would not be the leading cause of disability in the world today. And it is. And, you know, I debated on preaching on this because I, I don't want to trivialize this important topic by posing as someone who has all the answers or pretending that I know what everyone goes through when they experience it because I don't. But I do sp- speak to you as someone who has laid in the furnace of depression, someone who's tasted the ashes. And by the grace of God, can live to tell about it. And so this morning's message um, will be part expositional, part testimonial. And by expositional, I mean to say that I don't, I don't have the answers to anything, really. Okay, Only God does. And so if we're to draw any truth and meaning from depression, it must begin and end with God's word. But by testimonial, I mean this. None of us experience God's word in a vacuum. Right? It's practiced and it's proven in the context of life and of living. Right? And so more than I typically do, I'm, I'm going to share today at length about my own personal struggle just to provide some of that context. You know, this is, I, I know this isn't the first time that I've mentioned my personal struggle with depression and since I've shared bits of my story over the last couple of years, you know, I've had a number of people approach me and asking all kinds of questions you know, about my journey. And more often than not, it's people who are in the midst of their own season of walking through it. And it made me realize that this is a far more prevalent struggle than most people are willing to admit. And it's also made me realize that those who are suffering in silence find great encouragement in just talking with someone that has walked through it because you often feel so lonely so misunderstood when you're in the middle of it so my hope is that by sharing honestly about my own personal struggle even as one of your pastors that it will help eliminate this negative stigma that surrounds it you know and and also model for you that a gospel community is one in which we can share about these things We're all broken people. We all need healing. But we're also a community of healers because we have found healing in the Lord. So um, our text this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let's read it together. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Amen. So, upon reading this, we can add the Apostle Paul to the list of many great men in, in, in the Bible who felt so burdened by something so great that they lost their will to live, I believe. And, you know, Bible commentators have tried to identify what, what exactly it was that was so heavy on Paul's heart here that he would write these words. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Because the text actually doesn't really tell us what it was. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous. And this is by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is by God's design because I think if we knew exactly what it was that was causing Paul all this distress, it would be easy for us to just dismiss it. You know, we could wave it off as, well, I don't struggle with that. So this doesn't really apply to me. But I don't think God wants us to focus on the the cause of Paul's pain as much as the consequence. I think all of us can relate to this feeling like at some point in our lives. Maybe you can't tie it to a specific event or some trauma. Maybe you don't even know where it comes from. But we all know this feeling that you're carrying this incredibly heavy burden and it's just utterly beyond you. Something has overwhelmed you to the point that it has even diminished your will to live. And so while we may not know the exact cause of this pain, I think we can relate to, to the anguish. And so I, I want to respect my boundaries here. Uh, I recognize that the text here may not be speaking explicitly about depression. But I chose it for today because it's clear that Paul has been burdened with an affliction that he describes as so unbearable that he's unable to deal with it in his own strength. And as a result, I believe he finds himself despairing, despairing of life itself. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
And I think this describes the pain of severe depression so well. Depression feels like this. It feels oppressive. It sucks every last ounce of strength out of you. Sometimes so bad that you're literally unable to function. Just completely incapacitated. Doing anything or even just being around people feels incredibly exhausting. Even normal daily activities that used to come so naturally, like eating or brushing your teeth or taking a shower, now feels like you're trying to move mountains. Hobbies and activities that you used to enjoy, bring you pleasure, suddenly they seem like a chore. You know, I've heard it said that the opposite of depression is not happiness, but vitality. Meaning, when you are depressed, all the strength, energy, and all the vigor that you once knew is now under so heavy a burden, it's so dark a cloud, that it's removed your zest for life. And if it gets really bad, even your will to live. But as I shared with the opening quotes today, you know, this, this dark experience is not just unique to Paul and the Bible. And what I find most encouraging is that despite the intensity of each of these characters, the intensity of their pain, none of these heroes in the Bible felt like they could not be honest about their grief and their darkest thoughts before God. And this is why I think they are people of faith, not because they felt these things, but because they took what they felt to God. And as I shared last Sunday, God not only knows everything you need before you ask, but he knows everything about you. Nothing you do or say or think could possibly surprise him. His love for you is unchanging, period. And because we know that he knows us perfectly and he still loves us perfectly, we can approach him with confidence, by faith, through his son. And regardless of how we feel, we can still be secure in his love. And so, because of that, it's not even in our sorrow and sadness, but it's, it's especially in our sorrow and our sadness. God says, come. You know, 40% of the Psalms, this, nearly half of the largest book of the Bible, are made up of laments. These are these deep, raw expressions of sorrow and pain, much of which was written by David someone that God himself proclaimed as a man after his own heart. And from this, and through reading the Psalms of Lament, you begin to see that God not only allows, but he invites, he welcomes us to share our most raw emotions, unfiltered doubts, our deepest sorrows, our greatest pain with him. And when we do, like Paul, we can say, blessed be the God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. You know, I I had my first encounter with depression when I was just becoming a teenager. I had moved to a new school in seventh grade, and I had a lot of difficulty making new friends, and my grades began to really suffer, and And so I felt this intense pressure both at school and at home to do better and that I wasn't good enough. 
And so I struggled with low self-esteem, poor self-image. And this was the first time I'd ever reached a level of sadness so deep that I had wished I'd never been born. And I've shared this before, but I remember climbing up on my roof at the age of 13 and just weeping and hugging my knees and leaning over the edge of the roof and wanting so desperately to just end my life because I felt so alone. My house was only two stories tall, so if I fell, I probably would have just broke a few bones. But the sadness was real. The pain was so real. And when I graduated from college, you know, I returned home back to St. Louis, and I left this very vibrant college ministry, and I ended up being back at uh, the church that I'd grown up with, which was not doing very well. And this was also a time when my wife, Kim, had resoundingly rejected me, all my advances towards her, and she was not as convinced as I was that God wanted us to be married. And, and so that was quite painful. And, and you add to all this, you know, I was starting a new job as a public accountant, and I, I really struggled to fit in with, there's a strong drinking culture in public accounting, believe it or not. <laughs> but um, every night, we'd, you know, all my coworkers would go out to drink when we were out of town. I mean, when you're in the middle of Farmington, Missouri, there's really not a whole lot to do. And it was a difficult season. And I was trying to find my place in, those, in the world. And, you know, I experienced not a severe depression in that time, but definitely clinical depression because I could remember for months just feeling really down and just sleeping a lot. And about five years ago, I experienced the worst bout of depression in my life. And it was immediately after my wife went into remission from her cancer. And you would think this would be a joyful time. But after five months of battling this disease, you know, she was in remission. But for me, this wasn't, this wasn't a happy time. You know, I had taken eight months off of work and, uh, to take care of her and the kids. And, and she, when she was done with treatment, we took the entire summer off, and we just traveled the country, and we were just trying to make up for lost time. And when that summer was over, I suddenly had to face the specter of returning back to work. And this is a job that I, you know, once loved, but now it just seems so empty and so meaningless to me. And I lost all sense of purpose in my life. And I guess you'd call it, you could call it a midlife crisis because I was approaching 40 years old and, and it was a crisis. But during that season, all the things that I used to enjoy, I, I found zero pleasure in. I think I've shared this. I lost like 30 pounds in the course of 30 days. Sometimes I wish I could do that again. <laughs> I couldn't sleep at night. The depression got so bad that I literally could not get out of bed. I didn't even realize that you can go on disability for mental illness, but the HR folks in my company, you know, they, they recommended I do that until I get better. So for nearly six months, I just laid in bed on disability. And to be honest, things got so dark and the pain was so intense that there were times when I struggled to find the hope to keep on living. And to be honest, ending my life seemed like the only solution. And if you ask Kim, you know, she would tell you that as painful as cancer and chemotherapy was, watching me go through this was far more difficult for her. And I remember opening my closet one day and seeing Kim on the floor, just weeping and feeling so horrible because I knew it was because of me, but feeling helpless to change. 
And after six months, you know, my disability insurance had run out. And I finally came to a point where I, I had to either quit my job or find something else to do or just get back to work. And none of those options seemed attractive to me. It was excruciatingly difficult. By the grace of God and the prayers and support of my family and friends, you know, I, I was able to eventually get out of bed, put one foot in front of the other, and, and get back to work. And I don't even know how, because I remember some mornings I would struggle to actually get off the train when it, we arrived downtown. And I wish I could say that one morning, you know, I woke up and everything had changed. But it wasn't that easy. It took three, four months of this seemingly impossible daily grind. And it was filled with anxiety and shame. And slowly, each passing day, though, the fog began to lift. And by the end of it, I was back to myself. And I felt, you know, normal again. I, and I loved my job again. And I, I, I was going to retire there. And I ended up working there for two more years before the company got sold. And then God led me into this job and into full-time ministry. But I've often looked back at the time and I've wondered, like, why did God put me through that? You know, such an, such an excruciatingly difficult season like that. When dying actually seems more attractive than living. And I think the answer is very consistent with Paul's conclusion in verse 9 as well. He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes the purpose of suffering is to bring us to the end of ourselves. You know, in our sin nature, there's nothing natural about trusting God. The only way we can truly trust God is when we first stop trusting ourselves. And God in his mercy, I believe, was pruning me in that season and that I might learn to abide in him. And I'm still learning. You know, have you ever really been in a really low moment in your life and some, someone comes up to you and say, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle? You ever get that? That's like the worst thing to say to someone who's <laughs> struggling. I think there are plenty of times that God will give you more than you can handle. But there's a reason why he gives us more than we can handle. And as I was beginning to come out of this season of depression, you know, I went on um, a little hike with my wife at a state park when we were visiting St. Louis. And on this hike, we encountered all these beautiful sights. We ran into some deer. Uh, we saw a hummingbird that day. And we were treated to some really nice views of the river valley below us. Picture of Kim. But the most beautiful thing I saw that day was, was this. And at first I thought it was like this exotic Japanese beetle, but it was actually just a regular green June bug. And it was nothing special, really. But I want to play this video I took of this beetle that day, and then I, I want to explain why, why it was so beautiful to me. So if you can play that. So he became, I called him my little buddy. I had great compassion for that beetle. <laughs> and, you know, something sideswiped this little guy, and when we found him, he was lying flat on his back, and all six of his little legs were just 
helplessly swiping the air, right? And he's desperately just trying to get back on his feet again. And he looked pretty vulnerable. He looked pretty pathetic, right? And it was obvious, you know, there's no way he was going to resume his life without some supernatural intervention. Enter me and my stick. (laughs) And it didn't take long for me to turn him over, but, you know, I, I wonder how long it took him to realize how weak he was and that he needed help. And when I reflected upon my depression, I realized that I had spent six months of it on my back, just like that guy. Hopeless, helpless, desperately trying to get back on my feet, on my own strength. And I realized through that little beetle how helpless I must have looked. I closed myself off from the world, except for just a few faithful friends. Too proud to publicize my struggles. Too stubborn to change. And I nearly lost that battle. And here's what I thought that bug was beautiful. is Through that nasty little green insect, I learned something profound. Sometimes the greatest gift in getting sideswiped in life and finding yourself flat on your back is coming to the realization of how weak we truly are and how strong he is. It's a simple truth, a truth that many of us have learned to sing when we were just children. They are weak, but he is strong. And it often takes a lifetime to truly learn this. And when you do learn it, you can sincerely say, Yes, Jesus loves me. Not just because the Bible told you so, but because you've also witnessed that love in your own life by his rescue. Johnny Erickson Tata is a Christian author who became a quadriplegic as a young teenager when she dove into a lake without realizing how shallow it was, and she was paralyzed instantly from the shoulders down. She understands pain, depression, disability, and she said something that has always stuck with me. She said, the harder life becomes, the more I lean on God. And the more I lean on God, the stronger I discover him to be. When you find yourself in a dark season in your life, God calls us to to lean on him, to discover his strength, to know our weakness, but to discover his strength. Because when you begin to discover his strength in you, you begin to discover his love for you. Yes, Jesus loves me. I think the other lesson that we can draw from this text and that we can learn from Paul is that he recognized that his sufferings were not meant to be experienced in solitude, but they were to be shared in community. And not just in community, but for community. Notice how many times you hear the words comfort and share in these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If you're afflicted, it is for your comfort 
and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that one of the main reasons we are afflicted is so that we might experience God's comfort this way. And in turn, we might go on to share that same comfort that we've experienced from God now with others. Paul viewed all of his afflictions, his sufferings, and its comfort and victory all within the context of community. You notice that God's comfort is found only when we share it with one another. You cannot share something in isolation. This can only be done in community. And when you are depressed, it's so tempting to just withdraw yourself from others. It's incredibly draining to try and put into words how you're feeling and even why you're feeling it. And there's often shame in feeling the way you do. But if we learn anything from depression, it's that the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself and suffer in silence. And this doesn't mean you have to tell the whole world you're depressed. But you do need to find a few believing friends who are willing to shoulder that burden with you. And you have to communicate that. Notice Paul says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction. We don't want you to be unaware. We want you to know. One of the first steps to finding God's comfort is by making those in the body aware of our pain. We must find a voice for our pain and be willing to let others help us carry that load. For those who know a loved one who who is or who struggles with this, who's depressed, it's so easy to just let them be. You don't know what to do or say to make them feel better. But the truth is you don't need to do or say anything. And oftentimes the most loving thing that you can do is not try to fix them, but to just sit with them, listen to them. Let them know that you're there without trying to change them. This is what unconditional love looks like. And this, to me, is the very definition of empathy. It means drawing from your own painful experience, not so that you can solve another person's problems, but so that you can relate to and have compassion for them. This is part of the reason why God brings affliction into our lives, so that we might grow in that compassion, that we might, our heart might increase. And it means learning not to speak, but to just sit and listen. This is the kind of comfort that God calls us to give when others are hurting. You know, I've spoken with a number of people in, de- in depression, and one common theme that I see among those that emerge from it is that they begin to see the presence of God again in their life. And most often, it's not through personal revelation, but it's through the people of God. Even though they may slip into a dark valley in which God doesn't seem real, He doesn't seem near, it doesn't even seem like He exists, let alone cares. But that all begins to change when they allow others to love them, to serve them, to sit with them, listen to them, grieve with them, and pray with them. 
And all of a sudden, a God who seems so absent and so distant feels much more present, much more near. Now, I want to close with one last story. When I was in the midst of um, my struggle, I would just lay in bed all day, as I said, and, and I knew that was the worst thing that I could do. But I didn't have the energy to do anything else. But one Saturday, um, Kim and I decided we're not going to let me do that the entire weekend. And so we got all our kids into our minivan, and we decided to drive down to Naperville, where my brother-in-law and my sister lived. And I didn't really want to go, but I knew that I couldn't just sit and wallow in my depression. Um, and so we packed all my kids in our minivan, and as we were making this 45-minute drive down, there was this incredible storm that overcame us. And it was dumping so much water on us that I, I literally couldn't see like more than two feet in front of me. I'm just driving on the highway, and it was really scary, actually. And at, at that moment, it just dawned on me, this is, this is exactly how I feel right now, emotionally. Right? I'm in the middle of the storm, and I'm trying my best to see. But I still had no idea what was in front of me. I didn't know when it was going to end, and I felt like I was going to die. And Kim told me she thought maybe we should, you know, pull over and go back home, but I was like, no, we're just going to keep driving. And when we finally got there safely, the weather had completely changed. The storm had passed, and the skies had just opened up, and it was sunny, and it was so unusually warm. This is in November that we decided to take a walk around this lake that was near my you know, sister's home. And me and my brother-in-law, we just took a walk around this lake. And actually, I remember you know, I did most of the talking. He just listened to me. And I just expressed to him all my fears all the sadness, everything that was just grieving me. And I remember the only thing he said that day was, Peter, I, I believe God is doing something great in your life. And you're going to come out stronger from all of this. I really believe that. And that's all he said. And I remember thinking, he's just saying that to try to make me feel better because I know I didn't feel that way. But I could sense that there was a real conviction in his voice. And I could see that even though I didn't believe it, he believed it. And he believed it for me. And I found myself clinging to that, that moment, that little truth, that little nugget of faith, because I didn't have enough faith on my own. And this is a picture of my kids playing on the rock next to the lake that afternoon and you know, I'm so thankful for that day because I realized that God had given me that storm. And it was a picture of what I was going through. And he was reminding me that no matter how bad things look, no matter how blind you are to what is ahead, trust in me. The storm will pass. And I will make something beautiful out of your ashes. And I needed someone to walk with me. Just listen to me. Just to gently remind me things that I couldn't even believe was true at that moment. Let's bow our heads.
You know, the enemy wants to rob us of our joy. And sometimes he will cripple our faith with such intense sadness that we lose all hope in life when dying actually seems more attractive than living. But no temptation has seized you which is uncommon to man. You're not the only one that has suffered in this way. There are others who have gone before you. There are others who are walking through it now. There will be others who will walk through it in the future. But know that God has a greater purpose for all of it. He's bringing us to the end of ourselves. He's teaching us what it means to abide in Him. And those sorrows may be overcoming you in, in the night. We're promised that there's joy in the morning. And He's given us one another in this community brothers and sisters in Christ who have experienced the affliction and also the comfort of God to bring his comfort and his love into our lives.